Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And on the other line, boarding the expressway with a nuclear bomb intact all the way to Asteroid City. Happy to have back on the show, Mr. Jordan Snyder. Welcome. What a pleasure to be back, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you're here because we're doing a kind of jam-packed Wes Anderson episode. This sort of felt like, you know, the ample time to talk about Wes Anderson, not just because he has a new movie out in theaters now called Asteroid City, um, but we'll also have like a series of short films, I believe, coming to Netflix at the end of the year. Um, He's already talking about uh, another project he has in the works that I believe I read today is going to be like a spy story and star Benicio Del Toro, potentially. That sounds Um, lovely. Yeah, I'm super excited for that. Um, And, you know, there's been, I think... A lot of Wes Anderson chatter on on social media, and I, I first wanted to sort of like start broad, and then we can kind of get get a little a little bit more micro. What are kind of your general thoughts about Wes Anderson as a filmmaker? What does Wes Anderson mean to you? Because I feel like, do you get the feeling like he's become kind of a divisive director in sort of the last few years, or may, maybe he always was, and I was just sort of in my own bubble of Wes fandom as like a teenager growing up and discovering him but i i feel like certainly in the last like five or six years or so you know he he's very much like love it or hate it filmmaker yeah i feel like people will try to be devices about anyone so and he's just no uh exception to that right but i mean i think we're just lucky to have him because i feel like less and less you see those same types of auteurs people with a distinctive voice people with a distinctive visual style and i think that's where i first came on board with him it's just more appreciating his visual style his complete control seeming of the frame and his shots and it wasn't until later more recently in my life and adulthood that i connected with the the themes of his films more so it's been great to sort of uh appreciate them in two forms, like the, my first viewings, taking in the, the visual style and really appreciating that, and then revisiting lately, like Royal Tenenbaums mm-hmm. is one that I definitely didn't have as much of an appreciation for just because the the darker, more real themes, it was, it was hard for me to, I guess, relate to it, and maybe it was just a different upbringing as well. I had that sort of innocence, that sort of naivety. Of- yeah. Do you remember what, what was the first one you saw? Cause you bringing up Royal Tenenbaums that I think has always been my favorite of his, which I think is just like, that is the first one I saw. And so it's, you know, the, like, you never forget your first sort of, sort of thing of like, that's yeah. just the one where I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is such a unique voice. And I, I don't, I just, remember i just know that movie like the back of my hand if, if that makes any sense and, and it's just sort of hard for me to separate kind of as as much as there are other films of his that might be more technically ambitious that is the one that i i think has just always held the most personal connection to me but that that could just be because that was the very first one i saw it, it might have been the first one I saw as well, but the first one that like I truly, truly enjoyed was Grand Budapest, mm-hmm. and that sort of uh, maybe was the turning point to where I, I revisited a lot of his stuff and checked out Rushmore for the first time um, and just really appreciated his style on a deep, deeper level and his themes on a deeper level. Um, lots of loss and um, dysfunctional parents and uh, just dysfunctional family life that like I said, probably wasn't relatable to me growing up. Um, but I so appreciate like having his perspective um, on those themes and sort of, sort of seeing into his, a window into him as a filmmaker. I've just really appreciated that more recently. Yeah. I, I think you talking about sort of the, the sadness and melancholy in his work is something that I've really been thinking about lately. Cause um, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the, the TikTok trend of people basically doing like AI generated yes. Wes Anderson um, mm-hmm. movies. Like what, what would Wes Anderson's star Wars be or Wes Anderson's um, I believe there's a Lord of the Rings one, but yeah. I, I, I think 
that kind of brief trend on social media, I think, and, you know, this new movie of his coming out sort of reignited, I think, this debate amongst the people who are overly critical of him of, like, oh, there's something a little too, like, overly fussed over about his style, and, like, is is he really that much of a, a visionary of, oh, he, he just sort of frames everything symmetrically <laughs> and everything's made out of little makeshift models, but I feel like what those critiques sort of miss is the real kind of melancholy and sadness in a lot of his movies and the way that sort of like and and this is I think like a perfect segue into this new movie of his the way in which sort of the that kind of overly fussed over sort of like very very hyper specific Mm -hmm. um meticulous worlds that he builds in all of his movies um which which have an an aura of sort of artificiality about them and they they feel like someone's sort of constructing something out of you know raw toys and materials but the way that kind of clashes that sort of level of control clashes with the sort of inner turmoil of a lot of his characters and sort of the deadpan personalities that they have and the way that all their emotions are so sort of repressed i mean what are there any other sort of aspects to his style and his aesthetic that you think people kind of like gloss over and sort of these vague, like, Oh, it's just all symmetrical and it's millennium pink and all of this. Stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I have been pondering more recently just about his use of like narrative framing and like nesting the stories. And, Oh, it's, it's a book that we're reading. Mm-hmm. And this is the first chapter of this book. And this is actually a play. Um, and I feel like people probably just consider that, just a flourish a stylistic flourish or something mm-hmm. um and I, I can't say exactly what it means to him but i do get that it maybe adds even a more sense of distance mm-hmm. to the story than it would be if you were just dropped into the frame uh from the get-go so i i assume that's something do you have any yeah uh, theories I mean, as to that i mean i it's interesting i was reading this past week kind of preparing for this like a series of interviews Matt Zoller sites did with Wes Anderson and talking about like Anderson is someone that likes you to be is is sort of fascinated by you understanding that what you're watching is a movie and is a story and is fascinated by the idea of storytelling and that's why you know if he's going to do like um some sort of weird creature or something it's going to be like a stop motion puppet or something like that and you know if someone was to ask like well why wouldn't you do it as cgi or you do use more high tech effects or something and he just sort of saying like it's fake like you know it's fake and i'm and it almost seems like a dare of his of like how artificial can i make this look how sort of removed from reality but still have you kind of invested in the story And or or just seems fascinated by the idea of movies as stories, movies as fiction, as dreams. Um, and that sort of fits in, I think, in some of his more recent movies, including Asteroid City, these kind of like Russian doll structures he has where it's like, I mean, like Grand Budapest is like multiple narrators within <laughs> books and flashbacks to like get you down to the essence of what the story is and asteroid city is this like movie that is within a play that is being put on yeah, television twilight zone-esque yeah. right right and it it all seems to sort of be calling attention to the fact that what you are watching is a story and that being part of the commentary of what you are watching which, which i think is a, a really crucial piece of this new movie in particular Totally. I, although I can see how it's, it's just completely could be alienating or make certain films like less accessible to mainstream viewers. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I, I can definitely sense that this new one is maybe I think it has both produced, I think, the most interesting writing about him um, in quite some time. But even among like normal everyday audience members. Like I, I will say the, I really, really enjoyed the movie. I, you saw this with like a normal audience, but even the press screening I was at, there was someone um, who like turned next to the guest that they were with and was like, well, that was pretentious. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, they, and it was sort of like, yeah, it, it is kind of his, as his style and aesthetic has become 
more extreme and more pronounced and more in your face as as he's progressed as an artist i i think it just sort of further divides that line of like you either gotta hop on the train or and sort of take all of his fetishes <laughs> in <laughs> or or not at this point and i'm i'm sure there will be i'm, I'm fascinated were, were there any kind of like reactions in the room um before we get into kind of our own opinions of of judging what kind of the normal moviegoer was sort of thinking about this one because i i have a feeling it is not like what happened with grand budapest and being sort of this crossover hit that m introduced a lot of mainstream audiences to his work this is something that maybe feels a little bit more niche and 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 uh yeah i think that's the best word for yeah um bear in mind i did see it at an indie theater rather than like an amc or a regal so i feel like people tend to know like right. what they're in for in that regard but it was a packed house um it wasn't raucous laughter throughout but like definitely smatterings at, at yeah. all the right moments um and so it felt like there was a, a good audience but it's it is hard to know if it's going to because i honestly don't know what it is about grand budapest hotel that sort of shot it through the stratosphere in terms of its reception and box office and everything it's it's a lot more like slapsticky i think in it like i remember seeing that at a, an early screening that was like an early surprise screening i was visiting a cousin of mine in boston and he was like that the, the word around town is someone filled me in that they're going to do like a free showing of wes anderson's new movie that doesn't come out for like another month and we waited in like 20 degree weather because it was like first come first serve to get into this free screening but i i just remember that that theater was like raucous with laughter and and walking out of that being like that might be the funniest movie he's he's ever made and it is kind of an adventure story something like asteroid city is a lot more meditative and contemplative and and it doesn't quite have sort of uh swashbuckling energy of of something like grand budapest i think yeah and it does have kind of an offbeat trailer as well so i don't think the marketing is helping it in, in that regard although like all of his films the the cast is always incredible yeah. it's just like endless listing and faces of people like oh my god they got him in it too and, so. I, and I saw this morning it's doing pretty very well for an indie film at the box office um i think in this sort of age of anxiety especially last year of like oh gosh is the no one coming out for the art house titles like well, clearly <laughs> wes anderson is still like a brand name that that people want to flock a, a certain demographic of audience wants to flock to the theater to see what's in store um and i've i've even had several people in my personal life that aren't necessarily cinephiles like you and I being like, Oh yeah. The new, the new movie from the guy that made grand Budapest. I've like, is yeah. that out? I want to check that out. And is it good? And um, let's, let's get into talking about asteroid city a bit. What, what were kind of your immediate thoughts after you saw it? I'm fresh. Like fresh out of it right now. So I still have a lot of digesting to do, especially that's one of the reasons why the like nested narratives and everything is so prevalent right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel but, like I really put you at a disadvantage in being like <laughs> immediately walking out of this. What while I've had like two weeks to like stew on my thoughts about this. Movie. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I've been abducted by an alien and I'm just seeing everything anew for the first time again. But no, I think it is probably his um, most like controlled world. Almost, mm -hmm. it's like we were talking about. It's his distinctive symmetric style, or not even necessarily symmetric, but just perfectly crafted and detail oriented and theatrical. Um, and I definitely appreciate that. I understand where like some people are turned off by maybe that aspect and the deadpan nature where it feels artificial. You can't really connect to the emotions perhaps that it all, it still works for me and I'm able to, that's, the emotion is able to cut through mm -hmm. all of that, the distance that he applies with his filmmaking style. Um, I see. I liked. I was so glad to see Jake Ryan uh, mm -hmm. from I think eighth grade fame. Yeah, uh, I liked seeing him back. I always like. I'm not partial to child actors usually in films, but I think Wes Anderson um, just has a knack for that too. And I think that, I that really shined here. <laughs> the, the precocious kids are yes back in full force. 
What yes. about you? What are some standouts for you? Yeah, so I, I, I guess I should probably give a brief or attempt to summarize the movie. It's kind of like as I was watching it, I was not confused. But then when I've had to explain it to people in the past couple weeks, it kind of sounds yeah. more complicated than it actually is. But essentially, you know, it what you were watching is this essentially televised play. Um, this sort of televised pro, twi- as you said, Twilight Zone like program. Um, hosted by Brian Cranston. <laughs> um, and we are watching this theater company put on this uh, production and then and that is shown in in black and white um, in sort of the square format. And then we see a a sort of filmed version of that production in sort of this beautiful like widescreen uh, like eye popping color. like almost it looked like a 60s or probably even older than that it it looked like a roadrunner yeah. cartoon like like just the colors <laughs> in the desert and they make the of, overt reference <laughs> yes yes um and so that kind of story within the story the story of the play is about these various families and precocious children that sort of descend on this small town of asteroid city for the science conference that's put on by the military and scientists out there and there is inevitably a encounter with an alien being and that uh, causes everyone to have to be quarantined uh, down in this small little uh, tiny, like three building town. Um, yeah. There's even like a, that great joke of like, there's the interstate, but it's like unfinished. It's just like the ramp <laughs> to go up to the interstate. Um, and really most of the movie is these I would say like very smart, pe- very intellectual people who want to have some sort of control over their lives and their emotions, all of a sudden being confronted with this idea of the unknown and this idea of them not being in full control of their lives and sort of existentially grappling that with that. And then the the story of the play that it's sort of being cut simultaneously with feels like a very meta breakdown of like what would it be like for kind of a 50s method actor troupe to try and put on a Wes Anderson style production um you know there's there's a lot of allusions to like Marlon Brando and Elia Kazan and sort of like you know there's the bit with Jason Schwartzman like the way he's covering his sweater is like the exact same way James Dean does and photographs (laughs) and the Scarlett Johansson character is very Marilyn Monroe-esque um does sort of allude to that period of time when she was trying to get into kind of method acting theater um and so it's really kind of like the idea of okay well this is what we this is sort of the movement that we think of with like a very naturalistic acting style and what happens if you try and do a story about people who are prone to that naturalistic acting style trying to put on a Wes Anderson production and having questions of like wait so why does my character have to do this because this character (laughs) seems so deadpan and I don't understand and trying to find a way and it also just sort of mirrors the idea of people that want to have control but even they're having trouble finding their own ways into this source material and the ways they have to do that becomes, I, I think, this this interesting exploration in kind of the artistic process and how you sort of channel various emotions and how that sort of comes through in the finished project of, of art. And I will say that I, I hoped that the balance between um, sort of the, the meta outside the play moments and the play that... I almost think that the television product or production got short shrift a little bit and that um, it was maybe a little bit more half-baked for me than, than the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I don't know. I can't say exactly. Well, you did a good job of explaining the complexities of it. I will say. And so that is, I think another reason why it might be challenging than some of his other movies uh, and I don't know. I appreciate him doubling down on those same sensibilities. Yeah, it 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 kind of. I've seen so many other reviews and reactions to it. Sort of say like this feels like a movie that is him sort of commenting on all of his critiques as an artist. Um, I and and I'm curious. Like, were there moments in the movie that had that kind of emotional catharsis 
moment to them because I would say like the movies that I like of his best, you know, that emotion comes through sort of the the meticulousness and maybe even though there's movies of his like like French Dispatch for example is a movie I I think I liked more than most people but I think is kind of mid-tier for him in that it's it's a lot of like elaborate set design but there isn't quite the same like emotional through line as like a Tenenbaums for me um and and this movie I think I'm curious to see it again and and would not be surprised if I see it again and it winds up you know I text you again and like masterpiece just saw asteroid city a second time and it like fully clicked together but i i had a little bit of the same struggle as you of it it admiring the intellectual exercise of it but not quite finding a way to kind of like emotionally latch onto it but there were like two scenes that i thought like really kind of crystallized the emotion of the movie to me i think all the bits with jason schwartzman's character who's this war photographer that's um a widower now and doesn't know how to communicate that to his kids and the conversations he has with his father-in-law played by Tom Hanks. Um, I thought were like really genuinely moving and sweet. Um, and, and, and had a little bit of like that great moment in Tenenbaums that like makes me cry every single time where, um, it's, it's in that kind of like final, like dolly shot that Anderson's doing, um, after the car runs into the house and Gene Hackman just sort of like goes up to Ben Stiller and Ben Stiller has that that one sad moment of like, I've had a tough year, dad. And, yes. <laughs> and, and Gene Hackman just sort of like puts it just sort of hugs him and says, like, I know. And like that, that the the amount of emotion sort of conveyed in like such little dialogue and such kind of straight face sort of deadpanness, I I think. This movie has a couple moments like that. There's also in the sort of actorly uh, subplot of the movie, the scene where Schwartzman's character like fully breaks the fourth wall and is like, I actually like cannot connect to this at all and has to like walk off stage, but then has, I think my favorite scene in the movie, the one with him and Margot Robbie as this, this actress that got kind of cast out of the movie and they rehearsed this whole monologue that they had together on this balcony um and that to me was sort of the scene that like oh this really like connects all of this together and i see the emotional through line in this in a way that kind of like for most of the movie as i was watching it i was like oh this this feels a bit more kind of cerebral as opposed to one of his movies that i can really connect to yeah it didn't have necessarily the cathartic highs of the ones that we've talked about tannenbaums and everything but all of those and it's funny that you mentioned the margot robbie one because them their exchange there of the monologue is from the play so you sort are sort of seeing the play story but in a different light i guess right. you could say and it, or it's um, almost like that scene sort of taken out because it would be too emotional for the play because the play is so <laughs> yeah, that, deadpan. There's his little but distance then it's there. like here's the here's the scene that has to encapsulate the emotion that like the Jason Schwartzman character then has to take into that role and internalize. I, I just thought like, oh, that that is such a like smart, brilliant moment in the scene of like that this is the moment that like fully explains all the stuff that all the emotion and grief and sort of uh sense of of aloneness in the universe um that kind of the is running through the movie but if even if you the wes anderson style hasn't made you quite like grasp onto this that scene is the full like i'm gonna i'm gonna explain to you like the real thesis of the movie right here (laughs) right and very restrained use of margot robbie yes and and tom hanks feels like a nice stand-in for bill murray (laughs) almost yeah Although, although wasn't the, I believe it was the Steve Carell character, which Steve, I mean, I thought Steve Carell was really funny. (laughs) Like that, I think was allegedly the Bill Murray role that got recast because Bill Murray got COVID or something like that. Yeah. Were were those first time uh, Wes Anderson uh, roles for them or have they been in other films? I I believe so. Uh, Because I was trying to think a, a lot of his usual crew is here. I mean, Schwartzman's been in so many of his movies, Adrian Brody um scarlett johansson even i believe had a vocal performance in isle of dogs um and yeah i i I mean tilda swinton jeffrey wright 
that it's it's a lot of his usual crew. Edward Norton, a lot of his usual crew shows up for this movie. But I think the yeah, the three big new additions are Hanks, Margot Robbie, and Steve Carell to the bunch. And and I I really enjoy. It. I mean, I think Anderson typically gets like great performance. Clearly, actors love to work with him, and it's sometimes hard. Do you do you think it has to do with like? them recognizing him as like a signature talent and it's just like i just need to be in one of these or is is it there there clearly must be something about him that is like really appealing for actors to work with i i mean i definitely think that actors always love and appreciate when a, a director cares and he definitely uh his care is very evident in all of his frames basically mm-hmm. um i feel like it part of it also has to do with the fact that um he seems it's like found family almost in terms of film sets and people you work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like Owen Wilson is collaborator since they were in school together. Yeah. Um, so I think there's an aspect of, of that as well. When you come from like uh, his parents divorced, I think at eight years old yeah. or something. And he's and from he said, like, he's from, I believe like a small town in Texas yeah. too. It, like that, that was something interesting, like reading the Matt Zoller sites interviews and someone asking them about, He's like, yeah, the, the Wes Anderson persona is kind of like dawned on. And this idea of him is this kind of like snooty cosmopolitan guy. Like he's actually kind of just this like kid that never really left Texas growing up. And then now that he's like a big filmmaker is like, yeah, I kind of just want to like live in different countries around the world because like I didn't travel when I was a kid and, yeah. and stuff like, you know, broadening the world and it just sort of being funny. Like I, I think there's a much more... uh you know, pretentious um, aura put on him in sort of the the general public than maybe like what really exists. Yeah, although if, if I feel like if you really just analyzed and broke down, down his jokes, they're not really that uh, cerebral or intellectual or, no. or anything like that. He, but... He's so, there's so many great, I, I really fell in love again with just like how great he is at, at sight gags. Um, and just sort of like the smallest little cutaway to like a font or an index card or something like <laughs> that, or just like no one makes exposition funnier than Wes Anderson. Um, mm-hmm. a- again, it is it is a vibe you have to sort of like fully embrace and be on. But the you know that opening sequence with like the train car and then like the cutaway to all the different like goods that it's carrying and then all of a sudden there's the like cutaway to like an atomic bomb or something like that that made my theater like uproar and laughter of just he he's so great at finding those little bits of of quirky comedy um that exposition is like really can be super annoying and obvious and and he you're right he does do a great job of of uh revealing that information in an unexpected way or a fun and amusing way mm-hmm. so that is something i appreciate about about him as well so uh why don't we go through kind of uh the west filmography um this is film number 11 um you know we can we can spend as much time as we want on on each film but um i'm curious uh what are your bottle rocket thoughts his, this is obviously his his first feature it's sort of the least wes andersony Right. of all of his movies um due to its small budget but yet it is also unmistakably a wes anderson movie it, it is the movie of his that feels the most like in the real world while also it feels like oh this guy's just sort of like his his aesthetic has just like fully formed like that it doesn't feel yeah. like you know him having to work through something it feels like you know it's less pronounced more because of budgetary reasons as opposed to a lack of vision, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and just lack of experience and being able to hone that. Like if, if he made it today, I'm sure it would be right. wildly different. He, he just has more resources at his disposal to make it, you know, this, this intricate dollhouse thing. Whereas yeah. like that's Do you know what a... the budget was on, on that one too. Not off the like top of my super head. Super low, like yeah. crazy low. But that one to me, it, I would actually like to rewatch it, but there's definitely choice lines uh, that stick out from me mm-hmm. when like uh, Owen Wilson, I think making some sort of offhand comment about Bob that they're working with and <laughs> just little, little moments like that. Throughout. I have to be honest, probably my favorite Owen Wilson performance in anything. I think he's so funny in that, yeah. in that movie. Um, he and is I, great. I really would love for him and, and the, him and Wes's energy is just so 
perfectly pitched to each other i would i would love for them to like do something together again for sure but so yeah that one it hasn't been super memorable but i would definitely love to rewatch it and give it its due yeah i it's one of his i i remember the first time i saw it i really didn't like it kind of because of what we said like it's not the most like extreme in terms of style of his movies um but then saw it a, a second time and really really i i mean i i think it is sort of it's near the the bottom tier for me of his movies but still one that i think has like plenty to enjoy in it mm-hmm. and and i think is like a pretty impressive debut for feature sure. that yeah. that like i said just has like in a, a like incredible owen will insanely funny owen wilson performances this like wannabe bank robber guy <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, I think for me, his first kind of like real masterpiece is is Rushmore. Is that another one that you're similarly a, a big fan of? Another one I think is just like wall sure. to wall, consistently funny. Is like a big, you know, in in the in the Anderson mythology, it is sort of the launching pad for Jason Schwartzman as a, as yeah. a leading man, as well as it is kind of like the crucial pivot for Bill Murray into like being kind of indie darling and you know being at this low point in his career and Wes Anderson sort of finding this new gear to sort of put him in um as this just sort of like mopey sad boy like (laughs) tycoon tycoon and like being in this sort of like love battle with this teenager over the heart of this school teacher and I mean kind of of a bit of like a twisted plot to the movie but 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 the premise is so freaking funny though I love just that alone is hilarious is and Schwartzman just embodies that character so perfectly well. Uh, like God, that's another one where I just like love to look up like best lines. From yeah, it. his delivery is just so killer in some of them. I've definitely used the the <laughs> the bit because my my aunt was a nurse, so the <laughs> the bit where they're all out at the fancy dinner and Jason Schwartzman's like a little drunk and is making fun of. I believe it's it's Luke Wilson in that movie is like an er or an or yeah. surgeon or something <laughs> and jason Schwartzman's just like what what scrubs are what are the, what's that you're wearing he's like oh it's or scrubs oh are they <laughs> just all the oh, little pitch perfect yeah, yeah all the little lines in there i think that is also my favorite bill murray performance is him in that movie it, it's just one of those of like i saw it at, i don't know about you i saw it at the right age of like i was a teenager when i saw it and it's just like the right kind of like perfect teen movie um to to see when you're like 16 or 17 and like get, really getting in the movies because it has all of these like french new wave references and stuff like that in it but um yeah i i that it, it that is near the top for me i think yeah i mean all of his live action films sort of uh hover except for bottle rocket for the reasons we mentioned mm-hmm. near the top for me like on any day except for life aquatic which is the only one i haven't seen any of them could probably um pop around the top three spots for me for sure yeah i mean we could talk about uh life aquatic and tenenbaums kind of in in junction um i mentioned that tenenbaums is my favorite and you said that's one that you kind of gained a new appreciation for i i i just think it is the the perfect synthesis of his sort of meticulous art direction while also um you know having really great cast that mostly has you know it's not people largely coming in for bit parts but all have Mm -hmm. really interesting fun idiosyncratic characters to play and you know a movie that has like a real deep sadness and melancholy about it and like can have me rolling on the floor laughing one second and kind of in tears the next um and i i think I mean, Ray Fiennes in Grand Budapest gives gives him a run for his money, but Gene Hackman in this movie might be my favorite performance of any Wes Anderson um, actor. But um, which is ironic because Gene Hackman apparently like did not enjoy the experience of making this movie at in the slightest and like kind of hated <laughs> Wes Anderson. <laughs> which is crazy. You wouldn't you wouldn't know it to see him on screen because it's such a right affable performance at times <laughs> yeah um and and i i'm curious so you should text me when you see life aquatic um i like that one i particularly really love bill murray in it it is way more of like 
an action adventure movie um i think a lot of the it maybe works less as an ensemble than some of his other uh films of like maybe all the characters don't feel as interesting as the steve zisu character um Mm -hmm. for anyone who hasn't seen this is essentially bill murray playing a like fictional Jacques Cousteau oceanographer slash documentarian who's like on a revenge quest to kill this this giant shark that ate his best friend um and is a movie that has like you know all kinds of like weird fictional stop motion animals in it and has like a shootout scene with pirates and like oh a (laughs) three-legged dog and all all sorts of like crazy absurdity and a bunch of like french covers of david bowie music um i mean that sounds all (laughs) interesting yeah it's it is it's weird of like you go back to the reviews of when it came out and it's weirdly part of a dip for him of like a movie Mm -hmm. that was not very well respected i think when it came out um but now i feel like it is sort of garnered a second wave of appreciation and people are like no that, that i mean that that movie's good. Like, why were people smoking I, when that came out in like '04, and people were a bit sort of annoyed by it? But um, I, it is it is probably mid tier for me of his movies, but one that I I still think has enough like really interesting elements to it. Um, that I I I think it is flawed, but I think you would have a really fun time watching it. Yeah, I definitely anticipate doing that, especially now that it's the only one that I haven't seen. Yeah. Um, but I feel like as you were saying with critically him taking a dip on that film that i feel like it continued with darjeeling limited yeah so tell tell me your feelings about this one because this i will admit is the one movie of his that i've never really connected to um i don't i don't fully all out dislike it but it's the only one i'm sort of mid to like mixed on um and really you know i i think the performances are good in it you know the set design and you know all the meticulous Wes Anderson craft is is on display but I I've never for whatever reason like connected to the emotion of it but uh you saw it quite recently and really loved it so I'm I'm curious for your thoughts on it yeah that was actually uh like I was telling you a perfect excuse to to watch it for the first time um and I was just on that sort of Wes Anderson dysfunctional family kick mm-hmm. uh and I think what it was about the film is just the the three brothers the core relationship at the center of the film Mm -hmm. uh i just thought they were each such interesting characters but the way they interact together obviously you got owen wilson um schwartzman and adrian brody Mm -hmm. as as the three main brothers there and just like i said i I didn't have a dysfunctional relationship with my brother at all but (laughs) i still have a brother and so it, it is fun seeing like the little familial bickerings and the nuances about uh when someone's older i guess sort of they sort of assume a certain role and (laughs) how that sort of gnaws away at you over time um and how that eventually will (laughs) manifest in unexpected ways so i think it was like you were talking about earlier the he has elements in his films where there can be cathartic like emotional experiences even with the more deadpan delivery style and so i think it was just the (laughs) the culmination of their relationship and at the end owen wilson takes off all of his bandages Uh he's so (laughs) bloody and and cut up and he says i think i've still got some healing to do (laughs) it was just like a a perfect end cap i feel like to that film so yeah it was it was a surprise for me i wasn't expecting to go in loving it as much as i did but I'm, i'm glad i finally got to see it yeah it's also another kind of like interesting sneak meta movie um for him of like it doesn't quite have the nesting doll structure but like the book that jason Mm -hmm. schwartzman is writing in the movie is the movie you're watching (laughs) um which even like life aquatic like the the ending of that movie is like oh the movie you've been watching is the the movie that Steve Zissou is like premiering at, the, at this like in this at in Rome or something like that, and Tenenbaums has the, obviously the storybook structure. Um, and then I, I, but yeah, we mentioned like Life Aquatic and Darjeeling Limited are sort of this sort of this dip for him, I think, in kind of culture critic appreciation. Um, and then I feel like that kind of 
comes back with Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I really, really love a movie my sister and I watched constantly when it came out. Like as soon as that was just available to like rent and was just on HBO or whatever, like we would no joke probably watch it a couple times a week. Like my my little sister and I just thought that movie was so insanely funny. On and it's top so of, tight that you can't you can do that with no problem. <laughs> right. It's like what seventy minutes or something. It's or it's yeah, something's a, crazy. It's, like, it's a under, very under very, ninety for sure. Yeah. Um. And I I think. That of his two stop motion movies, I think that is my favorite. We'll kind of get to Isle of Dogs here in a little bit, but that movie and then especially Moonrise Kingdom a few years after that, I feel like are kind of the the swing kind of comeback for him and sort of like a big reappraisal of like, oh yeah, he is real, really one of our like great master American filmmakers. No, I definitely agreed in terms of Fantastic Mr. Fox. Isle of Dogs is one that I don't really necessarily want to revisit, but like we were saying, that one is just so tight, um, easy to watch. And I think just the, the more like heisty type elements, I mm-hmm. guess you could say, but still the heart there as well. Yeah. Really, really it's, gelled for me. It's one of his movies that I admire more than I like enjoy or think it's weirdly like the one that I'll sometimes forget about. Like, Oh yeah. He did the, like, stop motion movie about the dogs in japan or something <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like that was something that happened even though like you know it is Im- impeccably well crafted even even arguably more so than fantastic mr fox but um i think you know, the doesn't quite have the same level of i i don't know there's just something that's that doesn't quite have that kind of same emotional aspect for me even though i do yeah. think it is like an incredible achievement, but fantastic. Mr. Fox, I think is just such a like smart, sharp, insanely funny comedy. It's what makes me excited that like the series of shorts he's doing for Netflix later in the year, are all raw doll adaptations. And that's what fantastic. Mr. Fox is. And so he clearly like really, I think gets the kind of like twisted kind of cartoony, but like darkly funny tone that roll doll books all have. Um, that kids are all interested in, but don't ever really get <laughs> that right. much access to that sort of style. Right, right. It, there's something like, <laughs> it's just like, there's something that like, if you turn it a few dials to the left, it like would kind of tip into like full on like <laughs> horror and stuff yeah. like that. Like the stuff that happens in like the witches or like, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is like, I don't know, if you, you like massage this a little bit, like this is actually kind of like messed up, but just like the whimsical kind of fun way that that tone that all those books have. And I, I just think like he's so perfectly able to capture that tone in Fantastic Mr. Fox, which just makes it like a, a dynamite, like lightning rod comedy to watch. Yeah, all, all children need to have some slightly scary cartoony images seared onto their brains yes yes (laughs) um what are what are your moonrise kingdom thoughts because this is that's one of his movies that i want to get out in front of myself i like this movie i i you know i think it's really good but it has never been one of my favorite i think this is one that like a lot of people consider one of his masterpieces but i've i've never loved in the same way as other people do even though i like it quite a lot yeah, I think I'm probably in the same boat as you, where I, I think that the the central storyline is, is very sweet, and I, I like, again, it's another example of, probably his most strong example of being able to direct children mm-hmm. and get great performances. And the, the way that in his films, kids are always just sort of treated almost like many adults, <laughs> mm-hmm. never, never like children in the real world. Um, and I think he, especially with all like the Boy Scouts and that element as well. Yeah. It's a lot how, of like the children in that movie are behaving more like adults than the actual adults around yeah. them who are the, you know, the kind of be- screw up basket case people that like can't get their life together. And I feel like that could be a hard line to walk in terms of getting the performances just right for mm-hmm. that. And so that's another thing that I think he he really excelled at. Yeah, and then after that does Grand Budapest Hotel, um, which is, you know, I I think both of us would agree one of his masterworks. Um, I think 
weirdly a movie that probably should have won best picture looking back at that oscars like that 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 felt like the moment of like oh if we were gonna like give wes anderson best director and you know crown like this is him at his apex like that feels like that was that movie of like it's it is his style the most extreme it's ever been it is a big hit and it it is kind of like everything he does dialed up to 11 and is just a rocket ship of like hilarity and like an an incredible like I don't know what what's what what is it you love about it? It's it's just I I just think of it as Ray like Fines a great for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's just a great entertaining adventure comedy. Um, but you know I I think also, you know I think perfectly suits all of his little niche interests and fetishes that he has, and sort of like, you know, that kind of post war or pre war Europe, and you know a, this certain sort of air of majesty and and kind of nostalgia for the past um i i just sort of feel like it it perfectly lines up with a lot of his interests in a lot of ways yeah and i think it is just really sneakily hilarious as well i i honestly wouldn't have expected ray fines to like gel so perfectly Mm -hmm. in one of his roles and i think he said something like that he let him choose which role he wanted to take in the Mm -hmm. film so I feel like that worked out beautifully. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's probably definitely, like you said, between him, Gene Hackman, maybe Schwartzman and Rushmore, mm-hmm. uh, an iconic Wes Anderson role. Um, did he win uh, Best Original Screenplay for this one? No, I don't believe so. I believe it won a lot of like technical awards. I'm trying to think who would have won Screenplay that year now now i'm gonna look that question. up but yeah so i don't know besides just the his sensibilities and ray fine's killer delivery in that role mm-hmm. um just like added up to something amazing and then you just have the additional accoutrements like sarah ronan yeah and and everyone else tilda swinton is that uh, yeah a, and her like crazy prosthetic makeup and everything yeah. Um, so, did not win best original screenplay. You you want to yeah. take a guess of what of what did? Oh gosh, oh, lay it on me. Uh, the, the, a very very like hot acclaimed movie that year that I have not revisited since it it came out, and I'm very curious what I would think about it now, considering I generally am not a fan of the most of this director's work. So, 2014 was when it came out. Yeah. Oh gosh, I can't place it. What is it? It's Birdman. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have for screenplay. That seems wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that just seems like that isn't the Birdman phenomenon. Like kind of like Pete. That sort of like took the film world by by storm. But like, I'm not a fan of Alejandro Iñárritu. This is maybe like the one movie of his that I like remember liking and it's generally a movie that like only exists in my mind now as like oscar trivia of like oh yeah that (laughs) kind of like weird movie with michael keaton as the like superhero star trying to put on a really pretentious play in new york and it's all like one take and it's yeah the one take really really (laughs) wins people over which i I completely i resemble that remark so (laughs) sure yeah it 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 deserved to win cinematography you know i think we could have uh thrown west some of the you know maybe it didn't deserve certainly didn't deserve picture not original screenplay yeah that makes me i think we can debate (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're a weird moment that was in the in the obama years um So after Grand Budapest, then we get Isle of Dogs and French Dispatch, um, which I mentioned. Isle of Dogs, I'm sort of like, I, I think is fine. I, it is a mo- to look at. Yeah, it is an incredible a- achievement, yeah. um, though I don't think one of his more remembered movies. Um, and French Dispatch, which I feel like a lot of people did not really like and were sort of annoyed by when it came out. But um, I think even though it is sort of mid-tier of his movies i i think it's it's pretty fun and just sort of i think i even discussed it on this show is just him kind of like 
throwing spaghetti at the wall and kind of being like, I'm just going to, you know, I, I, who cares? It's all a bunch of random like short stories. And it's really just me kind of like playing a, a lot of like stylistic flourishes, which I, I'm here for. So, yeah. And I think when you break your film up so distinctly into the various stories, you're sort of mm. asking people to be like, oh, I like this one more than this one. And that one yeah. least. So I don't think he was doing himself any, any favors there. Yeah. But, um, I enjoyed it as like, I guess people said it was his love letter to journalism. And, mm-hmm. and so seeing the little aspects of like newspaper writing and literary magazines and all that stuff, I, I appreciated it. And it's one that I also would want to revisit, but I, like I was saying, I distinctly remember like having um, an order of like the the stories that I enjoyed the most mm-hmm. and some, so I could see going back to like not wanting to watch the whole thing, but only certain segments. Yeah. Like the prison it, segment I enjoyed with Benicio del Toro. Is that right? Yeah. I, re- I remember that one was probably my favorite one where he's like the, the avant-garde artist in, yeah. in prison or something. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think that one kind of runs into the issue that, you know, as you said, with like all anthology movies of, sort of like it's hard to kind of like make all of that kind of like feel mm-hmm. like a cohesive whole um even though it it does have the sort of meta story within a story structure to it of like the these short story these are like the articles in this mm-hmm. fictional magazine <laughs> come to life um i think that that's that 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 wraps it up because I mean, now we're now we're at 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 Asteroid City. Where where do you think this would fit in kind of like the larger ranking for you? I I think I'm putting this. I need to see it a second time, but I think it's it's situated kind of like at number five for me right now with like Tenenbaums, Grand Budapest, Rushmore, and Fantastic Mr. Fox kind of ahead of it. That sounds like a good spot for it. Five or six somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, it's him firing on all cylinders. Him at peak Anderson. So, I mean, I think I'm I'm just excited that we still have filmmakers like him. And like we were talking about all of his films, I'm pretty sure have made a profit, but yeah. not the types of profits that studios are looking for when they go to finance or fund projects. So as long as he can keep making them, I'm curious if he encounters any like rejection or struggles doing that. Cause I, I think Guillermo del Toro recently came out saying like his last 10 pitches or something had been rejected. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad that we still, he seems to be <laughs> cranking them out with ease and there's, he hasn't really lost a step at all. Yeah. He's, I, I think whether or not you like his aesthetic or not, he is, he's undeniably an artist. And I think I, I like you. I'm just grateful that someone of his caliber is still making movies and you know like i would rather discuss a movie like this every week than you know craven the hunter or or (laughs) you know what i mean like there was a moment like a few weeks ago where i was like i think it was when i was gearing up for like the flash episode we did and i was just like oh my god i i can't i feel like i'm like running in circles talking about like the same (laughs) things and all these movies week after week and was like having my own little like existential crisis like the people in this movie so i'm i'm just glad for like it's it's great that i think the movie is really really good and one of my favorites of the year thus far but i'm I'm just glad that there is there is something that is like this rich out in the movies now to to talk about and kind of unpack and consider cheers cheers to that um jordan before i let you go i did want to mention one other movie that I saw that turned out to be the biggest movie of the weekend. Um, it was No Hard Feelings, the the Jennifer Lawrence oh, yeah. raunchy R rated comedy. Tell me about that. Uh, what are your feelings on Jennifer Lawrence? Um, pretty positive. I mean, okay. uh, I feel like pe- there's a an arc with her <laughs> where people were like, "Oh my god, she's amazing! She's the next greatest thing!" And then people were like, "She's she's so real. She's so down to earth." And then people sort of turned on her for that, right? Like, as if she were like adopting a persona or something, but I, I tend not to invest my energy in that sort of thing. But so like winter's bone, I loved her in 
um, kind of sad that she's gotten sucked into the David O. Russell <laughs> machine a little bit. Yeah, and kind of weirdly, even though I think she is really good in Silver Lightning's playbook, which she won an Oscar for, I think she's kind of weirdly miscast in all of those David O. Russell movies. Yeah. Like, she's always playing someone that, like, should be middle-aged, but yeah. is, like, she's in, she was, like, in her early 20s during those. Like, I feel like marissa tomei should have been playing those parts even <laughs> as good as jennifer lawrence is in for sure like most of those movies um yeah it, it is kind of i was like looking over her imdb and like i i feel really invested in her as a movie star even though like invested to the point of like when she's made been in a movie that like hasn't really worked I'm I'm like Red Sparrow or something. I'm always like, oh, dang, so so close. We're just like, we need to get this train back on track. Yeah. Well, I um, love Mother. I'm a mother. I'm like, I'm fanatic. a mother apologist as well. Even though that was, you know, maybe at the time, kind of seen as a as a as a bounce, and she was in this provocative uh, yeah. Aronofsky movie that was a huge flop and was like ripe with all this device. It was the most hotly divisive movie of. Until that Star Wars <laughs> movie came out that same year. Um, Look at what the Hunger Games star is doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I've been saying for like years and years, like she's so f- like naturally funny in interviews yeah. that I've been like, it's like she should be a huge comedy star. And so I was really looking forward to this movie. Um, I kind of didn't think it worked. Um, it It's a weird case of like, trying to both be this kind of throwback summer R-rated comedy while also like it it's trying to be very very sincere and heartfelt mm-hmm. in in other aspect kind of like equal amount in the movie and that's a really tough nut to crack yeah. I think um and and you know I there are comedies that I think you know some of the Judd Apatow comedies like like 40-year-old version is a movie that I think finds that that right balance or something in in the sort of heartfelt and the raunchiness and this movie it it just it always felt so jarring at kind of flipping between one thing and the other um and unfortunately i think a lot of minus one scene um which all i'll say is uh i now understand why a lot of people were making um eastern promises references leading up to this movie um is all i'm gonna say Uh, but um most of the really like funny stuff was kind of already spoiled in the trailer which was a little that's um, always the worst which was a a little disappointing and then the stuff that kind of wasn't in the trailer was a lot of the like very sincere heartfelt stuff um i I think she's she's really good in the movie i want her to keep making comedies because i think she is like naturally really funny um it's just sort of that kind of like sucky thing of Man, we used to get like five or six of these a year. Yeah. <laughs> and we would get like so many of them during the summer and like me feeling so nostalgic for the days where it's like, all right, we get it. we got the big raunchy R-rated comedy that everyone's going to be talking about um and laughing in the theater over and like really really wanting this to kind of be like the bold reclaiming of that and now that this is kind of like the one of these we're getting this year and that it's sort of a letdown just sort of made me feel extra bummed. So, yeah, that is sad. I do want to still give it a shot just because I love her and everything you said uh, that we don't have as many of those anymore. I mm-hmm. guess like I go to I think you should leave and things like that for my raunchy comedy these days. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah it, I'll it, definitely it, check it out. Yeah. Uh, well, Jordan, thank you uh, so much for stopping by this week. Uh, and discussing Wes Anderson next week on the show we are talking about Mr. Harrison Ford and his return as Indiana Jones in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny um Jordan as a normal moviegoer out in the world are are you excited for a fifth <laughs> Indiana Jones movie did you uh, feel there was more meat on the bone left that in the indie saga like there's, there's just more you needed to know <laughs> zero excitement for this film like after we we didn't need to do it any dirtier after kingdom of crystal skull so i don't i don't know it, it was never i enjoy the original trilogy yeah of films they weren't like touchstones for me necessarily like they were for a lot of people one um, in one in three definitely were for me as a kid like i watched one in three a lot as a kid but was well temple of doom has some of those like indelible scary images that have been burned into my brain like the pulling the heart out of the chest 
I, I'm sure I'll get into it next next week, but like Temple of Doom was like weirdly that was the one where it's like I didn't see that until I was a teenager because it, that was the one where it was like you are not allowed to watch this <laughs> as, as a child. And so I was like, what what is that like how hard does this second Indiana Jones movie go? And like it does go pretty hard in some places, but then also remember being like really thrown off guard about like this is arguably like one of the sillier. This is like even more silly than the other two <laughs> in terms of like all the like goofy cartoonishness of it. But um, yeah, that's that's just my funny we'll relationship in it. Harrison Ford rest. <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, to, tune in next week as we'll be uh, talking about the new Indiana Jones movie and hopefully the the broader career of, of Mr. Harrison Ford, who's uh, been really busy this year. Almost almost seems like yeah. you know he's caught the Good acting bug again. Yeah. Yeah. And TV, no less. TV. Mm-hmm.